Well, we move over into 2 Corinthians 5 this morning. We'll be, uh, we've been spending one week per verse the last um, few weeks. And looked at some pretty wonderful verses. Now we come to a five-verse paragraph. They can't be so easily divided because it's all talking about the same thing. So we're going to spend at least two weeks on it. Today we're going to focus on the first half, next week on the second half, and we may take a third week on the last part of it. But I'm going to read the whole thing each week so we understand that it fits into a larger paragraph. But today's passage talks about the body. Paul's talking about our present bodies and our future bodies. And about a time when we have no body. That'll be next week. Not the time when we don't have any body. That's the time when we're going to talk about the time when we don't have any body. Now, when it comes to the topic of the future of our bodies, there's not an immense amount of detailed information in the Bible. God isn't interested in satisfying our curiosity. But there's certainly plenty to help us to joyfully yearn for the fulfillment of the promises of God. So let's read together 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. Oh, everybody got the handout? Good. So I, I printed up the handout because there's a lot of scripture I'm going to read. And that's just the scripture, the various scriptures I'm going to read in the sermon. And it includes the, uh, our passage at the top. So you can look up here or you can look on your page. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. That's the part we're going to talk about today. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan. Being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life, or swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So the three important things that this passage, this first part of this passage says about each one of us. The first thing is, we have a tent, which is our earthly home, a tent which one day will be destroyed. And in verse 1, this is what it says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heaven. So what's Paul talking about? Well, he's talking about our bodies, our present earthly bodies. And then he's talking about our eternal heavenly bodies. Not the same thing, although one 
they are, they are, there is a connection between the two, like there's a connection between a seed and a tree that grows from that seed. The reason, by the way, that some Bibles translate this not destroyed, but torn down, is because this Greek word that is usually means destroyed is also the term that is used in the Greek when you're talking about tearing down a tent. Now we wouldn't say you destroy a tent, right? But if somebody uh, said, you know, you tore down a tent, we all understand what that means. That it's, you pack it up and put it away, you don't need it anymore. And that's that's uh, the word that's used here, referring to our body, our tent. That's what the tent is. It's a temporary place that God has given us to dwell in the now. Our bodies. But they're not permanent. There is another body coming, a structure that's made to last and that is the one we receive at the end. But this dwelling is a temporary one. It's a tent. So we are different than unbelievers. Even though our bodies will one day be destroyed and our tents will be torn down, we know that we don't need to be afraid of this because we have a future dwelling. And this dwelling is not just adequate for us, it is much better than our present dwelling. Those outside of Christ, of course, they have nothing to live for except what they see in this world. So the things of this world are all important to them. And they're scared of death. But the Christian knows that this world is not his home. We're just passing through. But as Christians, we do not conform to the thinking of this world and treat our bodies as the end all of our existence. Our bodies will ache, they will age, they will weaken, they will decay, but that's all okay. They're just temporary dwellings. The permanent fixtures are on order. They will be coming soon enough. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So our life is more than food and drink. It's more than creature comforts. It's more than even good health. The world thinks good health is the ultimate thing because that's all we have in their way of thinking. Of course, we should take care of these temporary vessels that they may be useful in the Lord's work. But we do not live for our bodies and we do not let our bodies rule over us. The second thing that the passage tells us, the first one again, is that we have an earthly home, a tent, which will one day be restored, destroyed. The second is that we have another home. This one, not a tent, 
but a building made without human hands in which we will dwell for all eternity. If our tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Once these bodily tents, our earthly bodies, are torn down at death, then God will give us new bodies made by him, bodies which will last forever in the heavenly places. And I don't mean to imply by that that there's no gap in between the time when we lose these bodies and we obtain our next bodies, our heavenly bodies. There is a gap, and that's the thing we'll talk about next week that intermediate state. So this is our answer to all of our aging and our weakening and decaying. I'm getting a new house soon. And it's guaranteed to last. Its beauty and its strength and its intellect will never fade. Of course, Paul is here. The the moment that this occurs... In Paul's mind, and as in Paul's teaching, is the judgment day, the last day, the day of Christ's return, the great day of resurrection, when each soul separated by death, you know, soul separated from its body, will be reunited with its body and resurrected like Christ's body. In Philippians 3, Paul says it this way, we eagerly wait for a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has. So it is on that day when Christ returns that these humble bodies will be transformed into glorious bodies that are like the body of Jesus. And on that day... Not only will we see him face to face, as we're told in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, but we will be made like Christ. We'll be made like Christ on that day. And, uh, of course, that refers to that our bodies will be like the body that Christ had when he was resurrected, but it means more than that as well, it would seem. 1 John 3, 2 is the place that talks about this. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been, has not yet appeared. So there it is. God's saying, look, I haven't told you all the details about what's coming. He's purposely withholding that. So don't be impatient with your curiosity, wondering what our future lives are going to be like. He doesn't tell us much. What We will be as not yet appeared, but we know, this is the part he wants us to know, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Well, how are we going to be like Jesus on that day? We can't be like him in his deity, we'll never be like him in that way. There's only one God and we're not him. We're already like him in his humanity. We won't be more human 
We know that our bodies will be like him. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, Philippians 3.21, which we just read. But it's, it, needs, it seems to me it has to be more than just a, a bodily thing. It seems to me that we see him as he is and we're transformed inwardly as well as outwardly. We're like him in purity. We're like him in glory. We're like him in joy. We're like him in love. And po- probably many other ways as well. So, we have another home. Not a tent, but a building in which we will dwell for all eternity. And the third thing that this passage teaches us is that we long for our new home. Verse 2, for in this tent we groan, in these present bodies we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. And um, so while we're here in these earthly bodies, we're groaning. We feel our weakness. We feel our weariness. We feel our pain. Our memory fades. Some feel it when they're young. Everyone feels it when they're old. But this groaning is not just like moaning and groaning in agony. It's also yearning. We are yearning to put on our heavenly bodies. For the Christian, our discomfort now is combined with a longing for something much better which we know is coming. And this is much, much more than just an end to our pain. It's not just relief from the distress that we've experienced in these bodies. According to the Bible, our Christian, and this is important for us, for all believers to know this. According to the Bible, our Christian hope is based not merely in dying and going to heaven. It is based in Christ's return and final triumph and the remaking of all creation so that there's a new heavens and a new earth, including being reunited with our bodies in their new resurrected form. This is the focus of our hope, our Christian hope. Even though believers who have died, they are now with Jesus, they are still without their new resurrection bodies. And they still live in a universe where God's curse rests upon the world and has not been rolled back. It is when, and they, they participate in that curse. You know, when God said it, at the very beginning, if you do this on the day you do this, it, you will die. They're still suffering that part of the curse. They are dead in the sense that they don't have their bodies. And they long for the day when they will be reunited with their bodies. They're crying out in their heavenly places for that day. 
I don't mean that they're in agony or anything like that. They are blessed. They are in paradise compared to here. But still they are not in their final place of glory, which is on, which they will enter into along with the rest of God's people on that final day. Some will be alive and will go immediately there and others will be caught up from the ground and will join them and we will be resurrected from the dead. So, what's so good about our heavenly bodies that we should long for them? Well, the resurrected bodies we shall receive in the last day are far better than these bodies. No pain, no disease, no weakness, no limitations, no disfigurement, no injury, no danger, no confusion. But it's much more than even this. We're told in this passage that our new bodies will be imperishable. They are buildings. In, as Paul talks about them, they're not tents. They're buildings. They're permanent. They are made by God and not by man. Not made with the hands of man. That means that God makes them. And God makes them to last. They are, as he says, eternal in the heavens. Not earthly and destined to be destroyed. So there's no more aging. They are permanent fixtures, eternal fixtures. But also our bodies will be glorious. Which is really good news. Some of us really don't, you know, we don't, we don't feel like our bodies are very glorious. I know I'm certainly one of those. But, um, on, but our bodies will be glorious. In Philippians 3.21, it says Christ will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So we will have a beautiful body, a magnificent body. What does it mean that we have a glorious body? Well, again, he doesn't give us details, but remember the little moment where Christ was on the Mount of Transfiguration and suddenly his body just shined so brightly that, that they couldn't even look at him. Gives us a little taste. That was before his resurrection, but it was a foretaste of his glorious future. When angels appear in the Bible, they're glorious beings. And people, you know, they are overwhelmed by their glory. These are created things, Christ's body and the angels, that that are glorious in the scriptures. We get a little taste of what it's like to have a glorious body. Not only are they glorious and imperishable, but they are powerful. In 1 Corinthians 15, 42 and 43, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. 
Now, what will it be like to have a powerful body? I don't know. We don't have the details. But I have a feeling that if we could see our future selves, our idea of superheroes would look pretty lame and pretty boring. Paul talks about groaning for our new bodies in another place. In Romans 8.23, he says, We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So when Paul describes it here, this groaning, this longing for this, this, uh, these new bodies, the redemption of our bodies... He says, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. In other words, the redemption of our bodies. So, there's, in, on this, when we re- receive our bodies, there's a sense in which we're adopted by God. Now, you know, we're already adopted, right? So, there's several different things like this where it says we have it now, but then it says we're going to get it then. As if, and so there's like two levels or two senses or two degrees of this. So yes, we're adopted already, but we're not adopted like we will be on that day. And, uh, and so, you know, we can think of this in terms of earthly analogies. Um, you know, there, in, in adoption, you have the legal side of adoption where all the papers are, are filled out. And then there's the physical side of adoption where the child actually moves into your house and is received physically into your family. And that may be a helpful way for us to understand these things. We are adopted by God, but we're still not in his home in a sense. And still not in his arms. And not until the day when we put on our new bodies can we... Do we enter into that final state of adoption? And it's not just us that's groaning for this day, this day when we receive our resurrected bodies. The whole creation is groaning for this. We're told by Paul in Romans 8, 19... And following, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And that's what it's talking about. It makes it clear later. So the creation itself is waiting eagerly for this day when the sons of God who are hidden now will be revealed and given glorious bodies. For the creation was subjected to futility. This is the curse. Not willingly, not because it wanted to be, but because of him who subjected it, who put the curse on the world, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So the whole creation was subjected to corruption uh, as part of the curse. So right now the creation sort of has to work against mankind. But there's a day coming when it will be set free. It will be able to do what it really wants to do. And that is be a blessing to mankind. 
and work always with mankind and for mankind in the, under God. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And that's, that's, where, we, that's where we live. This is our home, our planet, our world. It's groaning. It's in the pangs of childbirth. But why? Why is the planet so upset? It's because it's waiting. It's groaning. It's longing. It's suffering under God's curse, waiting for this day when all will be made right, when the sons of God will be revealed. Beautiful. If we understand the glory and the value of this destiny of ours, we will be willing to do anything to obtain it. You know, in that, there's a famous passage in Philippians chapter 3 where Paul, I'm going to read, read it and you'll remember it right away, but usually we stop a little earlier. Go on one more verse and it, it uh, says something that a lot of people don't realize. Philippians 3.8 Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by all means possible... I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul is, this is what he lives for. He lives for this resurrection. Whatever he has to do, he's going to do what he needs to do that he might obtain this resurrection. He's suffering all these things. He's abandoning all these things. He's he's seeking Christ because What's behind it all? This day when he will be with Christ, when he will be conformed to Christ, not just in his death, but in his resurrection. And he will have the intimacy with Christ and the conformity to Christ that he longs for. But unlike Paul, there are two problems that we have as American Christians, it seems to me. First of all, we, we suffer with a lack of suffering. You know, we, Christians all over the world suffer in different times of history. They suffer in different kinds of temptations, different kinds of difficulties, different kinds of things that draw them away from Christ. It seems to me that in 2018 in America that that uh, American Christians, not everybody, but it's just generally, that the things, one of the things that we, that's the hardest thing to deal with in terms of our faith, faith is the fact that we don't have, that m- many don't have really intense sufferings that make them think about heaven every day. And the second thing is, is that even when we do suffer, even when there are things, even when we get laid off or when we lose a loved one, we have so many escapes 
and painkillers at our disposal to dull the pains of life. And it's so easy for us, instead of, you know, suffering driving us to the Lord, our suffering drives us to to escapes and prevents us from yearning for the life to come, which is what these things should be doing to us. One of the reasons God puts sufferings in our lives is to wean us off of earthly pleasures and securities so that we begin to look forward to a world that has no tears and no pain and no sin and no fear and no weakness. Beloved, there are wonderful things in store for us who believe. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And part of the reason he doesn't tell us is because we, can't, we don't have the ability to get it now. And yet, it's so easy for me to act like what happens in my life to me is what really matters. Now, what I do in this life does really matter. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about things like the recognition that I receive, the creature comforts I enjoy, the thrills I experience, the fun I have. These things, the thing, these things are not what really matters. God is our dwelling place. Heaven is our true home. If we think of this earth as our home, if we think of this place as the place we really belong, then we're going to be more and more miserable as it becomes more and more apparent that things aren't working out. That's what... A lot of people say midlife crisis is when, the, when people begin to realize that all their dreams, you know, they tell the children, you can do anything you want, you can dream big, and then in the middle of life they realize that these dreams aren't going to come true, and they have an identity crisis. But we don't have any reason for that, because we understand that this world is not our home. If you, we really understand this, if this gets really deep down into our hearts, that God is our true home, then we have a security that can't be shaken because that home in God is permanent and unshakable. There are hard things up ahead for all of us. Pain, loss, sickness. There may be things harder than we ever thought we would have to endure. The day of our death is coming. The day when we will leave everything behind. Everything we've acquired, everything we've achieved, everyone we love. And as those in the world around us are complaining about their aging process, about their deteriorating looks, about their failures, about their aches and pains... We can bear witness to the Lord by 
putting our hope in his precious promises and our identity in our eternal home with him. Sure, we feel our aches and pains and the aging process takes place in us just like everybody and we naturally groan in the midst of them and that's okay. But we also recognize that these things are from God, sent out of love. We know that he sends these very weaknesses to us to wean us off of these wilderness experiences. And here, you know, what I have in mind is the the travels of the Israelites through the wilderness, living in tents, looking forward to the day when they would live in the promised land, in buildings. And we need to be looking forward as we go through our wilderness experiences in these tents to the promised land that God has in store for us. We know that our, our afflictions are God's loving reminders of a better home being prepared for us. A home made by Him, eternal in the heavens. So let me end with 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood, that is, these present earthly bodies, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You can't go to heaven like this. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That is, not all Christians will die before Christ comes. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on, the, put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And that is our hope. In the meantime, we wander through a wilderness in tents. And there's not much to eat. And there's not much to drink. That is, that satisfies the soul. But God is gracious. And He has little, you know, as you drive on your road trip, you go long distance in some places, like Kansas, you go long ways and nothing changes and there's nothing there. But then you'll come and there's a 7-Eleven or there's a Cracker Barrel and there's a place to stop and get a little refreshment and before you continue your journey. In, in a similar way, God has not left us without refreshment. It's not the feast 
that we'll receive at the end. But it's enough to keep us going. And here it is. One of the, one of the, the, the small strengthening meals that he feeds us along the way. His bread and his body. And even in, as we partake of them, we remember that he, this, this is him, the one who endured the wilderness to the very end and received the paradise. And now we're walking in his footsteps and we're partaking of him as we go because ultimately he's the only one that can do this. He does it through us and in us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have invited us to your table and that you have chosen, O Lord, to feed us, that you know that we need help. You know that we need strengthening, nourishment. We thank you that you feed us and we pray that you would help us today with this sacrament. Feed us the bread of life in our souls. That being filled with Christ, we can go forth into this wilderness until the time comes when you call us home and till the time comes when Christ returns and remakes all things. We pray in his name. Amen.